Just by way of introduction, do we have any dog lovers here? Anyone love dogs? Anyone got a dog? No? Oh dear, that's awkward. Okay, just for the purposes of this illustration, I want you to imagine that you have a dog. And I want you to imagine that it's Saturday afternoon, your house is empty, the chores have all been done, the errands have been run, you've got like three, four hours to yourself, beautiful weather, so it's like, I'm gonna order a pizza. So you order a pizza, maybe you have some water or maybe something slightly stronger in this weather, and you sit down and you wanna watch your favorite TV show. So for the ladies, maybe it's some like Meg Ryan movie kind of thing. For the guys, it might be Homeland or 24. And so you're sitting there, and then it happens. You go to take your first bite of pizza, and those eyes are looking down at you. It's your faithful canine companion, and he's looking up at you. What are you doing there? You've got this nice slice of pizza, you're not including me in this. What's going on? But what do you do? You put the volume up, you ignore him, take your bite. And then he pulls out his best weapon. That picture there is of my best friend's dog. It's the closest thing that I had to a pet. His name's Johnny. I think that's his fifth birthday. Uh, about 20 years ago, he's gone to glory. Um, and Johnny was brilliant because he would do exactly that. And his trick with me was always what every dog does. When you ignore them the first time, they put the paw on your lap, don't they? On your knee. All the resistance is gone, and you give in. We found out later in life, Johnny loves Big Macs, pizza, Jaffa cakes, um, just about anything that I would feed him. But there was a mutual understanding about what's happening here. He knew every time that I would go around to the house, he knew that I would feed him, because he knew that I loved him. And he would ask in his own way, because I don't speak dog language, he didn't speak English, but he asked, and he always got what he wanted. But he knew where to go. He knew who to ask for the help. So I want you to think about that, because what you experience in that moment, and it's, it's, it's some fun, but take a minute to reflect on it. It's one of the most profound and fundamental powers that God created in this universe. And it's called the power of asking. Amen? So that's where I want us to start our teaching this afternoon. So if you have your Bibles, open your Bible to Matthew 7. Verses 7 through 12, I believe that today we're going to learn about words, the way we relate to one another, and how we can relate to God. And then on the basis of that, how do we live out of that fresh place? So I'm reading generally from the ESV version, but it's Matthew 7, verses 7 through 12. It's verses that we all know very well. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And so there's three topics that emerge that I want us to look at and unpack a little bit this afternoon. The first is petitions. It's the seeking, it's the knocking, it's the asking. 
The second is our relationship with our heavenly Father. And the third is how we deal with others, aka the golden rule. But I will be starting with the relationship with our heavenly Father, because without that, the other two fail. There's no petitions and there's no relationship with anyone else without relationship with our heavenly Father. And when we look at the word Father in today's world, it's got a bitter connotation. It's got negative connotations to it. You know, absent fathers, fathers that generally don't, aren't around or don't want to engage with their children. And so it's generally got bittersweet connotations. Research and studies show that how we view our earthly father will have a profound effect on how we view our heavenly father. So regardless of how good your father is today, they fall short of how good our heavenly father is. So I want to unpack the type, a few types of fathers. Maybe you've been that person. Maybe you can relate in some ways. The detached father. Physically present, but not emotionally available to you. Maybe you lived in the same house, but they just weren't engaged in your life. They didn't know what was going on. They were just elsewhere. There was just a fundamental lack of connection. Well, what about the one that is prevalent today in today's world? The performance-driven father. Only shows you attention and affection when you're being obedient, when you're doing well at school, when well on the sports field. If you were failing, the affection stopped. Or the workaholic father. It's becoming more and more um, common in today's society where their work is their drug. They affiliate their identity, their purpose, their value in their job and not in their relationships, not in their home life, not with their wife, not with their children. Or maybe you had an irresponsible father. Maybe they were present in your life, but when it came to basic or key areas of responsibility, they were just negligent, poor at providing, poor at bringing security and safety and stability to your life. One that I wish wasn't on the list, but it probably is, is abusive fathers. Emotional, physical, or verbal abuse. And we know that words have a way of sticking, particularly if they come from someone in authority in our lives. Or maybe you had an absent father. Maybe they passed away when you were young. Maybe they abandoned you. Maybe you come from an orphan or a broken home. And so it's not that you've had a bad experience with your father. It's you've had a non-experience with your father. And that often, any one of those create a huge void, and they significantly alter the way that we approach and we view God. And we have to come to terms with that today. Otherwise, we will never understand and enter into the fullness of the relationship that we can have with our Heavenly Father. Because with an absent father, we would struggle to believe that God is there for us in our times of trouble. Performance-based father, you will view God in exactly the same terms. Only when you're doing well, only when you're doing this, only when you're doing that will you feel that you have God's approval. Or an abusive or an abandoned father, maybe you will start to view that you can't ask God for anything because he's not going to do it. He's abandoned you. Or the detached father. Maybe you view God in the same terms, that there's just zero connection or a minimal connection. Because we all carry wounds from our father. Even if your father was really involved, he's going to fall short. I'm very lucky. My father's still alive. He raised me well, pretty well, until I rebelled. <laughs> but every single night, Monday through Friday, without fail, 7.30, he would go in the door like clockwork. And he never took a job 
where it would mean he would be away from work more than two weeks at a time. He wanted to be present in the lives of his children. But I know men who are in their middle ages now who are still driven by that insatiable desire for affirmation from their father. It's shaped their entire lives, their entire thinking. And that's partly because God has put that there, but it's also a desire that we have that's inbuilt to us. But the problem is it gets mixed in with our sin. It gets mixed in with our wounds. It gets mixed in with our hurts. And yet we're often unaware of that. And so it blindly blinds us from embracing all that our Heavenly Father has for us. And so I look at my own life when I got arrested by the love of God. I was broken, I was fallen in sin, and God broke in. I got a revelation of the Father's love. Like, how much more can my Father in heaven love me? And that's what Jesus was getting at at the Sermon on the Mount that day. He put God in terms of a father, and it was revolutionary to the people at that time. They had never heard of God on those terms before. We don't just have a heavenly father. We have a good heavenly father. And in doing that, he confronted a sin that had persisted with mankind all the way back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3 when Eve was lied to by the serpent. Because you see, the serpent lied to Eve at the point of God's goodness. And you will find that happens so many times in our lives and it distorts our view of who our heavenly father really is. Because the serpent had included and commented to Eve that God doesn't want you to become like him. God's holding out on you, indicating that God doesn't want you to experience all that he has. Simply put, the serpent was saying that God is not as good as you think he is. And what Jesus was saying that day in the Sermon on the Mount challenged the way that humanity saw our Heavenly Father. He stated that God is good, and he's not just good, he's really, really good. He's better than you can possibly believe, and he loves us. And I'm sure most of us here, we can accept that. Maybe you're a Christian today, yeah, totally, I get it, no problem, I buy into that. Maybe you're not even a Christian, but you always hear God is love, God is good, and you can buy into that. But if it doesn't go from our head to our hearts, then it's just head knowledge, and it doesn't change us, it doesn't make an impact in our lives. Because proof that you have experienced the unconditional of love of God is evidenced by the way that you live your life. I've never personally disagreed with the idea that God loves us unconditionally. But the way I lived my early days as a Christian, I had a performance-based view of God. Must go to church. Must go to cell group. Must pay my tithes. Must go to prayer meeting. Must go to X, Y, Z. The problem with that is it made me miserable, to be perfectly honest. I was completely empty on the inside. Because a significant part of the problem was that I tied God's love for me to the activities that I was doing. So I did the activities in order to get or what I perceived to be his love. And that's okay for a while. That'll, you can run that. That'll work. But you'll find that it will stop because you cannot do it in your own strength. So when I would sin, it would automatically trigger thoughts, well, God doesn't love me. God's not interested in my life. God is like far away from me right now. And what would that create? A vicious cycle, downward spiral of behavior. Because there's nothing more horrible than feeling empty. And then something broke in my spirit. My friend recognized this. He offered to pray for me. I can't even remember what he prayed. 
but he's standing right next to me and he prayed. And for the first time in my life, as a Christian, I felt the unconditional love of God. And it's a feeling I can't really describe, but you'll know it when you know it. Because you see, God wasn't after my good efforts. Although they are important, he was after me. And he's after you. He's after every single one of us here today because nothing can make God love us less or more than he already does. Because if we thought that performance or behavior would somehow be sufficient, then our Heavenly Father would have no need to have sent Jesus into the world. But he sent us in, Jesus into the world so that every barrier that separated us could be torn down, so that he could be our Father and we could be his children. Because we never need to fear God's rejection or God's distance. We don't need to jump through hoops. We don't need to perform to gain his approval. That is liberating. He loves us, he accepts us, and he welcomes us just the way we are. And I think there's so many of us here today, we need this. We need to understand that he accepts us and he loves us just the way you are, with your imperfections, with your faults, with your failures. Because he's not surprised by your failures and he's not impressed by your successes. He just loves you. And for some of us, that is a revelation today. Can I ask us all just to close our eyes and just take a minute? Every person here, just take a minute. Just fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, your soon-coming king, your healer, your deliverer, your baptizer. Psalm 136, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. His love for you endures forever. Drink in that agape love today. He is for you. He loves you. He calls you his son, his daughter, in whom he is well pleased. There's nothing that you can do, nothing you can say that will separate you from his love. No matter what you've been through, no matter what you've done, your deepest, most acute sources of shame, of embarrassment, your deepest failures, the worst thing that you may have said or done to anyone, nothing can separate you from his love. No guilt, no shame. Father, bless your children in Jesus' name. Amen. And as we grasp that deeper level in our lives, it becomes the very context for our lives. As we become overcome by God's unconditional love, we understand our place in his family, and we can rebuild or build relationship with him. So the limitations, the chains, they come off. So now you serve because you want to serve. Now you go to cell group because you want to go to cell group. Now you tithe because you want to tithe. Now you engage with other Christians and non-believers because you want to, not because you have to. And so now we come to relationship with God and with others. Because you see, Jesus here is showing us new ways of relating to one another, not based on demanding, complaining, manipulation. How many people really appreciate people demanding stuff from you? Come on, we've all got those people in our lives, right, where they only phone you when they want something. I mean, I can think of a few names of some people. Nobody in this room, obviously, right? Can anyone bear witness to that, or is it just me? Am I the only one with complaining friends? Only one, okay. <laughs> Nobody does. This is a new way of thinking here today. 
that love, honesty, authentic responses impart freedom to others. Because simply to ask without demanding in today's world is hard. It's, easy to, it's not easy to come straight out with your need. Why? We have so many barriers. Some basic examples. Well, what if we don't like the answer that they give us? Well, what if we don't take no for an answer? Maybe you fear rejection. Pride. I think this is a big one for some of the guys. Just asking someone for help, we're fearful because it says that we're admitting lack in our own lives. Maybe you've had previous bad experiences with people. Or this one that was given to me by somebody who's married, so tell me if this is correct, men and ladies who are married. The phrase, if I have to ask, then forget it. Does that resonate with anyone? No, okay. Well, what about, no, we're just not being honest today. Well, what about our concerns are too petty? Because you see, with petition, we're asking, we're seeking, we're knocking. It's part of our worship. Worship, we typically, typically focus on singing, praises, songs, worship to God. But petition is just as much of our worship as praises. The majority, for example, of the Lord's Prayer is made up of petitions. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. God is actively interested in your petitions and in your prayers. In Psalm 66, verses 19 and 20, God has surely listened and has heard my prayer. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. You see, when we ask, when we seek, when we knock in our friendships with one another and with God, there's a lot of good fruit that can be born. Number one, authenticity. Being honest about our requests. Being known for who we really are. No matter how awkward, no matter how difficult, no matter how potentially challenging that is, it's important that we're known for who we are. Number two, it produces freedom. We impart freedom to others. When we ask somebody, when we go before them honestly with a request, we are allowing them the freedom to say yes or no. And number three, it imparts relationship, wholesome relationship. You see, demanding manipulation, etc., guarantees that you bypass the relationship. The person that demands, manipulates, coerces you to do something for them is saying that that need that they have is more valuable to them than the relationship. That's ungodly, and that's not a good place for your relationships to be at. But I find for many Christians, the issue isn't around why we don't ask God for things. It's always the what-if factor. What if I ask God and he doesn't give it to me? What if I don't get back the answer that I'm looking for? Let's take another look at the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. Because the best example for that was in the life of Jesus. The night before he was crucified, he wasn't in a great place. He was under great strain, great stress, he, to the point that he actually began to sweat blood. He cried out, Father, please let this cup pass from me. Is there any other way your will can be fulfilled? And yet he closes his prayer with, Nevertheless, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Because as Christians, when we ask God for something, we have to trust him with the outcome. Otherwise, it's not his will, it's our will. And he's a passenger in our relationship with him. We have to trust God with the outcome, irrespective of whether we want it or not. 
And it's this understanding and this relationship of trust that prevents us from falling into formulaic Christianity, that reduces everything to name it and claim it ministries. The comments like, well, you just got to ask God, or maybe you didn't have enough faith, or maybe you didn't believe hard enough. Those comments are not helpful. Maybe you asked and God had something else planned. Do not prevent those things from you asking God again, because God does not withhold. Psalm 84, verse 11, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. First and foremost, we're in relationship with God. We trust every outcome to him. We must trust him like a child. We are his children. If we don't get what we want, our life is still safe and secure in his hands. Take the attitude that Job took. Though you slay me, I will trust you, Lord. Or Paul, in 2 Corinthians 12, he's got a thorn in his flesh. I don't want to get too fancy because I am studying theology, so I don't want to start unpacking it too much. But theologians have speculated on this for years. Some believe that it was a physical infirmity that he had that wouldn't heal. Others suggested that he had a struggle with anger, and that's what caused it to flare up. But all we know is that he called out in distress. In verse 8, Paul admits praying to God on three occasions, pleading with God to remove it. God answers no. Verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. You see, this bit is so important. Paul chose to operate within the context of that relationship with his father. When he didn't get the answer he wanted, he didn't run off, he didn't get bitter, he didn't get angry at God. He accepted it. And we see that Paul did have the grace, did have the strength of God to keep persevering all the way to the end. So when we ask, when we seek, when we knock, that is the kingdom way that we relate to one another. And that's the way that we should relate to our heavenly Father. And now we can look at our connection with other people, both of them, inside and outside the church. The golden rule, do to others what you would do to them. We should love them. 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. That there's no limits, no limits, nothing that we can do that would prevent us from serving and loving other people. And it was only this week when I started studying and kind of getting into this and reading this that I actually realized that the golden rule verse was not a standalone verse. It's part of the aforementioned verses that I read because Jesus said that as one complete thought. The golden rule is the manifestation of a life lived in unconditional love. So when we've received unconditional love, we can give unconditional love. When we've received mercy, we can give mercy. When we've received forgiveness, we can give forgiveness because it comes from a place of freedom. It comes from who we are in our own relationship with our heavenly Father. And that's where I'm wanting us to connect today. We've all heard the phrase, oh, he's a chip off the old block, right? It's usually used in a derogatory way, a dismissive way. Maybe it's mannerisms that you've got. Maybe it's the way you look. Maybe you look like your old man. It's usually used with negative connotations. But I would love for every single person in this place, where you do life, in your workplace, and your university, 
at home for every person you meet to say, wow, he or she is a chip off the old block because they see Christ in you, the hope of glory, in everything that you do, in your speech, your word, your conduct would reflect the glory of God. Because as you re receive God's love, you naturally start honoring the golden rule. You don't try. You don't have to force it. You don't have to coerce it. You don't have to push it. So we should be asking for much, much more of the Father's love. Amen? Because I want us to be conscious of God's immeasurable love for us today. Ephesians 2, verse 7. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and his kindness towards us, as shown in all that he has done for us who are united in Christ Jesus. You are loved. He loves you. Look at your neighbor. Take a minute and tell them Jesus loves you just the way you are and say it with a smile on your face. Engage them in conversation for a minute. And so for some of us here today, I know it's difficult. Maybe you've got a, a very uh, poor view of your, your earthly father. Maybe you have a non-existent relationship. Don't frame that against your relationship with your heavenly father. He can do so much more. He is so much better. I want to close by reading a prayer, an ancient prayer that Paul prayed over the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 19. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Really encourage everyone to underline that in your Bible if you haven't already. And I would encourage you to personalize those, the lines. The lines about you being strengthened in your inner being. Use that in times of meditating. Because he is pleased with you. And he loves you. And I know for some of us it's challenging to really let go of some of the hurts, some of the wounds, some of the struggles that we've had growing up with our earthly father. And it's framed so much of our thinking, so much of our experiences about how we relate to our heavenly father, that we limit our heavenly father, we limit how much he might love us, we limit how much he might forgive us, how much he might provide for us. It's time to break those limits off, amen? It's time for us to allow him to be who he says he is. Allow him to pour every good gift, everything that we need into our lives so that we can walk in the fullness, so that we have an undistorted, a clear and a rich, accurate view and representation of who our Heavenly Father is. Because he loves you and he accepts you and he affirms you and he's championing you on in every area of your life. He wants you to win. He wants you to succeed.
He created you for that. He didn't, create, for, he didn't create you to fail. He didn't create you to be miserable, to be isolated, to be alone. He created you for relationship with him first and foremost. So if I could ask us just to bow our heads for a couple of moments, please. Father, we thank you that you are exactly who you say you are. That you are that good, good Father. We are loved by you. That nothing can separate us from your love. I pray right now that you would remove every source of hurt from our childhoods with our earthly fathers. Maybe for those of us that have stopped asking you for things, for breakthroughs, that we would start again, that we would renew our hope, we would renew our relationship and our love with you today, that you would stir us up, Father, that you would clear that path of debris, of moments in our lives that have been deeply distressing, deeply painful, and that you would break every limitation off in our relationship with you and that you would flood our hearts today, Father, with your love, with your grace, with your mercy, with your hope, that we are loved by you, that we don't have to do anything, we don't have to say anything to get your approval or your affirmation. You just accept us each and every day, and you're calling us to a deeper, richer relationship with, with you today. And I pray that, Lord, you would do some heart surgery in our hearts, in our lives today. You'd remove bitterness, unforgiveness. You'd remove those preconceptions that we might have about our own father or about people, family members, people we know and love in our lives. And that you would give, grant us the grace and the joy and the peace to build and rebuild relationship with you and with family members work colleagues, friends, and that, Lord, you would stir us up to love and to good works amongst each other and that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in each and every one of our lives. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen.